Thank you, Diane. For those of you that didn't notice, she had a, a rapt audience at her feet. And that is quite possibly my favorite thing that I've ever seen in church, is just a next generation of believers that are sitting as the scriptures are read in God's house with, uh, surrounded by people who love them. And praise God for that. When I was in early elementary school, it was the year 1983, if you want to do the math, I excitedly took a permission slip home and I begged my mom to sign it. It was for an overnight lock-in at the Sandusky County YMCA, Nirvana, in my young mind. I had never even heard of anything like it. I had no idea that it existed, but I had to go. I begged my mom. There would be swimming, and we could play in the big gym, and there was going to be a movie. Please, Mom, I cried. And I remember my relief and excitement when I returned to school the next day with the crumpled up permission slip that I had probably slept with the night before to make sure that it wasn't lost or it wasn't a trick. And I turned it in. That's big stuff when you're like eight years old. And I remember it to this day. We swam and we tumbled on the big mats and it was just as magical as I thought it would be. We ate pizza and we drank pop. I was living my best life. And then they corralled us all into a room and off went the lights and we sat glued to the TV as red letters scrawled across the black screen, Michael Jackson's thriller. <laughs> Michael Jackson was everything when I was that age. And a video about his hit song, Thriller, was like new, a new frontier for all of us. I didn't know what to expect. I was thrilled. Pardon the pun. Until I wasn't. <laughs> thrilled anymore. I couldn't tear my eyes away from the screen as Michael Jackson, under the light of the full moon, turned into a werewolf, and it was all downhill from there. I watched as Michael and his pretty co-star walked past foggy cemeteries, as Michael sang the creepy lyrics of Thriller. Through the fog amidst the headstones, I watched as hands broke through the ground as the thriller zombies emerged from the ground and I listened to Vincent Price's creepy voice speak of darkness falling across the land. I thought I would never sleep again. I couldn't look away, though, as Michael Jackson and his undead dance troupe shimmied through the streets. I have to give those zombies credit, though. They were good dancers. Now, before you think that this is the day that we need to call someone, because Pastor Charlene has finally flipped her lid, talking about a zombie-filled music video from 1983, stay with me, don't leave me just yet. I tell you all of this because those 14 thriller moments at the Sandusky County YMCA where I sat with my young eyes glued to a television watching this music video were defining moments in my life. I was terrified. I can still hear Vincent Price's evil laugh at the end of Thriller. <laughs> like, I was done for. When that was over, I had decided I would never again attend an overnight lock-in. I probably would never go to the YMCA. I didn't even care that they had swimming. 
And I went on with my life with my newfound resolution. And a few short months later, as I attended CCD class, which are religious education classes at our Catholic church, they spoke of the miracles of Jesus. And I was enraptured. They said, Jesus has been born for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus has risen again. And I thought, no thanks. <laughs> I've seen that video. That doesn't look very good. And I wanted no part of it as my mind flashed back to the images that I saw during the thriller video of how things rise again. It didn't look so great. I wasn't a party to that. And I'm pretty sure I was pretty vocal about my, my thoughts surrounding the resurrection. It took some time, a lot of time actually, for me to understand that Jesus rising again, being raised from the dead was a good thing, a beautiful thing, a restorative thing had nothing to do with the scenes that I had seen in Thriller and that had played over and over and over again in my mind. I tell you all of this because my story really is not that much different from the story of the people in Corinth. I know you're like, somebody call someone. She's really stretching here. I had preconceived notions about what it meant to be raised from the dead. I only knew what I knew. I didn't know what I didn't know. Now, granted, my preconceived notions included Michael Jackson in a red leather jacket with creepy glowing eyes and Vincent Price's creepy narration, but that was all that I had. That was my whole frame of reference for someone being raised from the dead. They had planted in the head of a nine-year-old girl who probably should not have been watching Thriller anyway. Pretty sure my mom didn't know that's what we were going to watch. But nonetheless, I struggled in my young life. I struggled with the idea of what it meant for Jesus to be raised. I struggled with what I thought I knew about life and death. And the people of Corinth struggled with what they knew about death and life. The deaths that they had seen were not pretty ones. They struggled with rituals surrounding uh, touching sick people and, and caring for them and disposal of the bodies of those who had passed. And so as ridiculous as it sounds that I struggled with the idea of resurrection based on my YMCA experience, isn't that the truth for all of us? Don't we pull up the file in our head when someone gives us a concept and we, okay, I got that. I have some frame of reference for that. I've got a file for that. And then when we don't, we're not sure what to do with it. Well, my file for people being raised from the dead was Thriller. And I had to reconcile what I thought I knew with what they were teaching us. God bless my teachers having to unring that bell. The people of Corinth just like nine-year-old me, are struggling to reconcile what they know and what they believe about death and resurrection. And Paul, being the teacher, is probably frustrated trying to get them to forget what they think they know and accept what God is telling them. This teaching of resurrection is opening the door to all kinds of questions that these folks have about resurrection. 
questions that are based on their culture and their personal knowledge. Maybe even new questions based on what they were learning, things they had never thought of. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of our foundational beliefs. It's one of our creedal beliefs. We state in our Apostles' Creed that we believe Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, and on the third day he rose again and ascended into heaven. We believe he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Each time we prepare to receive communion, we state the mystery of our faith. We affirm that we believe that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Have you ever stopped to think about what those words truly mean to you? What does that look like for you? Do you have questions surrounding that and what that means? Nine-year-old me had questions. Based on my limited and incorrect knowledge of what it looked like for people to be raised from the dead. But honestly, 46-year-old me still has some questions. Not the same thriller-based questions that I once had, but I have questions of what that will look like. Questions like, what does the resurrected body look like? Jesus is going to resurrect all of us. What is that going to look like? Will I still look like me? Will I recognize you? How will the dead be raised? Will it hurt? That idea conjures up some strange thoughts for us. Will our actual physical bodies that we have right now be raised, or will our souls be raised and given new physical bodies? How old will we be? Will we stay that age? We could go on and on with our questions. I hope that you have some questions of your own because that means you, that you've thought about it. I hope. That... Oh, goodness, where you can go pick. I don't think that's how it works, but I don't know. I have to be honest and tell you that my greatest fear as a pastor is that the words that we proclaim, words like the Apostles' Creed and the proclamation that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again, my biggest fear as your pastor is that those words just become words, that we say them and then we move on and we don't give them the, the intellectual moment that we should. And we repeat them without really hearing them, without feeling them, without stopping to consider what we're saying when we make these statements of our belief. Because if we say, I believe that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again, but then I don't ever give any thought whatsoever to what that truly means, then do I really believe them? Are they really statements of my faith? And then how do I go on to live out that belief? See, that's what Paul is saying to these people, and that's what Paul is saying to us today. He is walking us through our learning process, challenging our preconceived notions and maybe our disbelief. He's challenging us to declare, but then be able to explain what we believe, to explore these words, these ideas, He's reminding us that people outside of our faith will think we're crazy. It, it says in the scripture, fools, 
fools is what he says today. They'll think you're fools. We judge what we believe resurrection will look like based on what we believe at the time. Nine-year-old me thought it would look like Thriller. The people of Corinth believed based on what they knew, based on their culture. Paul is challenging some of their beliefs. The ancient people believed that there were different body types made of different matter for different things. If you had this body, the intention was this. If you had this celestial or spiritual body, your intention was this. If you had a terrestrial body, it was this. Paul mentions that in verse 40 of this verse, if you want to go back and look. Paul is once again, as he often does, stretching them. Just like I had to be stretched beyond my thriller beliefs by my teachers, Paul is stretching them to think beyond what we think we know and to lean into the mystery of our faith. My favorite thing is when parents call or text me and they say, my kiddo had this question, and I said, go ask Pastor Charlene. Because then I think, oh, I hope I know the answer. But, but here's the side note. I don't have all the answers. Beware of any preacher that says that they do. Beware of any preacher that says they can explain it all. Beware of any preacher who speaks absolutes about divine things. We don't know it all. And I mean we collectively. We don't have the faculties to understand all the things of the divine. We are not God. Beware of anyone who doesn't lean into the mystery of our faith because some things will remain mysterious until God's time to reveal them. Paul doesn't have all the answers for us. He didn't have all the answers for the people of Corinth, but he does have some thoughts. And our scripture reading today stopped just short of Paul getting to his thoughts. It's almost like they stopped mid-sentence and left us hanging. So I want to read to you, I love how Eugene Peterson phrases it in the message. So right after where Diana stopped reading, it says, but let me tell you something wonderful. So Paul's saying, you've got all these questions and these misconceptions, or Paul would say to me, you think it's going to look like thriller, but let me tell you something wonderful, a mystery I'll probably never fully understand. So Paul acknowledges his shortcomings. We're not all going to die, but we are all going to be changed. You'll hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet, and in the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At the same moment and in the same way, we will all be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable is replaced by the imperishable. The mortal replaced by the immortal. Then the saying will come true, death swallowed up by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O death? O death, who is afraid of you now? Where is your sting? It was sin that made death so frightening. It was sin that gave fear of death its leverage. But now in a victorious single stroke of life, sin, guilt, and death are gone. Praise be to God. And then Paul goes on 
and says, with all of this going for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground. Don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him will be a waste of effort. See, there's a, there's a progression there. We go from our understanding, our own humanity, and, and we are all changed. We are changed people right now, changed by the Spirit of God. And then we go on to do the work of God until that trumpet sounds. Paul says, I don't know exactly how it's all going to work. But Paul's saying, don't get hung up on that part. Don't get hung up on the how of how it's all going to work. Just get hung up on the what. And the what is that we are all going to be changed. The sting of this life will be no more. Just as Jesus put on sin when he became man, we will put on grace. Just as Jesus became mortal, we will put on immortality, glory, and power. And thanks be to God. Last week, we reminded ourselves and pledged to remind others that they matter. This week, Paul's final words to us remind us that our lives here matter and our work here matters. Because our work here, the work of God, is the product of our faith-filled lives. It's the product showing others that we are in the process of being changed. And all God's people said, Amen.